Hey guys, welcome back to the Amen Rob podcast. So in this section, we're going to go over part two of the paper that we reviewed in part one. And this paper is going to break down theoretically how you could create and engineer a coronavirus in a lab. So if you missed the first podcast, you definitely want to take some time and listen to that very carefully um, because the, the, the author definitely laid out several things that are just not a coincidence when it comes to SARS-CoV-2. Um, not a coincidence at all um, when we talk about the HIV proteins added. I mean, there's so many things that we can talk about. And so we included that in part one. Now, now let's talk about part two, which is how it was genetically created in a lab and what steps they would have taken in order to do that. So, um, so let's go ahead and break this down. So it says, in the second part of this report, we describe a synthetic route of creating SARS-CoV-2 in a laboratory setting. It is postulated based on substantial literature support, as well as genetic evidence present in the SARS-CoV-2 genome. Although steps presented herein should not be viewed as exactly those taken, we believe that key processes should not be much different. Importantly, our work here should serve as a demonstration of how SARS-CoV-2 can be designed and created conveniently in research laboratories by following proven concepts and by using well-established techniques. Importantly, research labs both in Hong Kong and in mainland China are leading the world in coronavirus research, both in terms of resources and on the research outputs. The latter is evidenced not only by the large number of publications that they have produced over the past two decades, but also their milestone achievements in the field. They were the first to identify civets as the intermediate host for SARS-CoV and isolated the first strain of the virus. They were the first to uncover that SARS-CoV originated from bats. They revealed for the first time the antibody-dependent enhancement of SARS-CoV infections. They have contributed significantly in understanding MERS in all domains, zoonosis, virology, and clinical studies. They made several breakthroughs in SARS-CoV-2 research. Last but not least, they have the world's largest collection of coronaviruses, genomic sequences, and live viruses. The knowledge, expertise, and resources are all readily available within the Hong Kong and mainland research laboratories to carry out and accomplish the work described below. And so what they've included in this article, in this study, is a diagram of the synthetic route of you know how this could have been done from step one to step two um, to step three where they use a cloning vector dna synthesis um you know um gibson assembly from specific genes and full vector virals cdna um, genome in vitro transcription and transformation assisted recombination in yeast mm. okay so in this subsection, we outline the possible overall strategy and major considerations that may have been formulated at the designing stage of the project. To engineer and create a human targeted coronavirus, they would have to pick a bat coronavirus as the template slash backbone. This can be conveniently done because many research labs have been actively collecting, collecting bat coronaviruses over the past two decades. However, this template virus ideally should not be the one from Dr. Shingli Shi's collections, considering that she is widely known to have been engaged in gain-of-function studies on coronaviruses. Therefore, ZC45 
and or ZXC21 novel back coronaviruses discovered and owned by military laboratories will be suitable as the template slash platform. It is also possible that these military laboratories had discovered other closely related viruses from the same location and kept some unpublished. Therefore, the actual template could be ZC45 or ZXC21 or close relative. The postulated pathway described below will be the same regardless of which one of the three was the actual template. Once they have chosen a template virus, they will first need to engineer through molecular cloning the spike protein so that it can bind HACE2. The concept and cloning techniques involved in this manipulation have been well documented in the literature. With almost no risk of failing, the template bat virus could then be converted to a coronavirus that combine HACE2 and infect humans. Second, they would use molecular cloning to introduce a ferron cleavage site at the S1, S2 junction of spike. This manipulation based on known knowledge will likely produce a strain of coronavirus that is more infectious and pathogenic. Third, they would produce an ORF1B gene construct the ORF1B gene encodes the polyprotein ORF1B, which is processed post-translationally to produce individual viral proteins, RNA-dependent RNA polymerase, helicase, guadenine N7, methyltransferase, uridylase-specific endoribonuclease, and 2,0-methyltransferase. All of these proteins are part of the replication machinery of the virus. Okay, now I just want to pause here and, and bring up something really quickly. Um, so with HIV, for example, with HIV, um, they have what they call antiretrovirals. And these antiretrovirals come in so many forms. They have um, the SCOVI, Tibicae, uh, Truvada, um, all kinds of different antiretrovirals. And they class them based on what specific part of the virus the, the drugs target. So some of them might target the enzyme reverse transcriptase, which is actually in COVID-19. You know, now they are finally admitting that, okay, you know, COVID-19 can't get into your genome, but they have known that from day one. Um, so um, just bring that into context, they have known for many, 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 many years how the virus actually um, creates itself. So that's what they would, you know, ideally, that's what they would target, right? If they, if they really wanted people to get healthy, then, you know, that's what they could do. Um, but, you know what I mean? Now it's like making no sense because they could create literally antiretrovirals for all of these different parts of the coronavirus, the transferase, the, the um, methyltransferase, they could target helicase, they could target the spike protein, they could target all those things, but instead they want to push the vaccine. So I'm just pointing that out because they know very well the replication machinery of the virus very well. It's been well studied. 
All right, now among them, the RDRP protein is the most crucial one and is highly conserved among coronaviruses. Importantly, Dr. Shingli Shi's laboratory uses a PCR protocol, which amplifies a particular fragment of the RDRP gene as their primary method to detect the presence of coronaviruses in raw samples. As a result of this practice, the Xi group has documented the sequence information of this short segment of RDRP for all coronaviruses they have successfully detected and or collected. Here, the, the genetic manipulation is less demanding or complicated because ORF1B is conserved and likely ORF1B from any bat coronavirus will be competent enough to do the work. However, we believe that they will want to introduce a particular ORF1B into the virus for one of the two possible reasons. Since many phylogenetic analysis categorize coronaviruses based on the sequence similarity of RDRP gene only, having a different RDRP in the genome therefore could ensure that SARS-CoV-2 and ZC45 are separated into different groups or sublineages and phylogenetic studies. Choosing an RDRP gene, however, is convenient because the short RDRP segment sequence has been recorded for all coronaviruses ever collected or detected. Their final choice was the RDRP sequence from bat coronavirus, which was discovered in 2013. For RABT cold 4991, the only information ever published was the sequence of its short RDRP segment while neither its full genomic sequence nor virus isolation was ever reported. After amplifying the RDRP segment, they would have then used it for subsequently assembly and creation of the genome of SARS-CoV-2. Small changes in the RDRP sequence could either be introduced at the beginning through DNA synthesis or be generated via passages later on. On a separate track, when they were engaged in the fabrication of the RATG13 sequence, they could have started with the short RDRP segment of RABT code 4991 without introducing any changes to a sequence, resulting in a 100% nucleotide sequence identity between the viruses on this short RDRP segment. This RATG13 virus could then be claimed to have been discovered back in 2013. The RDRP protein from RABT code 4991 is unique in that it is superior than RDRP from any other bat coronaviruses for developing antiviral drugs. RDRP has no homologs in human cells, which makes this essential viral enzyme a highly desirable target for antiviral development. As an example, remdesivir, which is currently undergoing clinical trials targets RDRP. Wow, I did not know that. And in India right now, they're, they're not allowing people to get remdesivir anymore, which I think is an absolute crime, what they are doing in India to kill those people. Why would you stop giving people remdesivir when it targets the main viral enzyme that allows the virus to replicate? It makes absolutely no sense. Um, when creating a novel and human targeting virus, they will be interested in developing the antidote as well. Even through drug discovery like this may not be easily achieved, it is reasonable for them to intentionally incorporate a RDRP that is more amenable 
for antiviral drug development. Fourth, they will use reverse genetics to assemble the gene fragments of spike ORF1B and the rest of the template of ZC45 into a cDNA version of the viral genome. They will then carry it out in vitro transcription to obtain the viral RNA genome. Transfection of the RNA genome into cells would allow the recovery of live and infectious viruses with the desired artificial genome. Fifth, they would carry out characterization and optimization of the virus strains to improve fitness, infectivity, and overall adaption using serial passage in vivo. One or several viral strains that meet certain criteria would then be obtained as the final product. In this subsection, we describe in more details how each step will be carried out in a laboratory setting using available materials and routines, molecular, cellular, and virologic techniques. A diagram of this process is shown in figure eight. We estimate that the whole process could be completed in approximately six months. Step one, engineering the RBM of the spike for HACE2 binding, which is one and a half months. The spike protein of a bat coronavirus is either incapable or inefficient in binding HACE2 due to the missing of important residues within its RBM. This can be exemplified by the RBM of the template virus CC45. The first and most critical step in the creation of SARS-CoV-2 is to engineer the spike so that it acquires the ability to bind HACE2. As evidence in the literature, such manipulations have been carried out repeatedly in research laboratories since 2008, which yielded successful, successfully yielded engineered coronaviruses with the ability to infect human cells. Although there are many possible ways that one can engineer the spike protein, we believe that what was actually undertaken was that they replaced the original RBM with the design and possibly optimized RBM using SARS-RBM as a guide. As described in part one, this theory is supported by our observation that two unique restriction sites, ECORI and BSTEII, exist at either end of the RBM in the SARS-CoV-2 genome. And by the fact that such an RBM swap has been successfully carried out by Dr. Jing Li Shi and by her long-term collaborator and structure biology expert, Dr. Fang Li. Although ZC45 spike does not contain these two restriction sites, they can be introduced very easily. The original spike gene will be either amplified with RT-PCR or obtained through DNA synthesis followed by PCR. The gene would then be cloned into a plasmid using restriction sites other than ECORI and BSTE2. Once the plasmid spike gene can be modified easily, first the ECORI site can be introduced by converting the highlighted GAACAC sequence to the desired GAATTC. The difference between them are two consecutive nucleotides. Using the commercially available quick change site directed mutagenesis kit, such a dinucleotide mutation can be generated in no more than one week. Subsequently, the BS2E2 site could be similarly introduced at the other end of the RBM. Specifically, the GAATACC sequence would be converted to the desired GGTTACC, which would similarly require a week of time. Once these restriction sites, which are unique within the spike gene of SARS-CoV-2 were successfully introduced, different RBM segments could be swapped in conveniently and the resulting spike protein subsequently evaluated using established assays. 
as described in part one, the design of an RBM segment could be well guided by the high resolution structures, yielding a sequence that resembles the SARS RBM in an intelligent manner. When carrying out the structured guided design of the RBM, they would have followed the routine and generated a few such RBMs with the hope that some specific variants may be superior than others in binding AHAC2. Once the design was finished, they could have each designed the RBM genes commercially synthesized quickly and very affordable with an ECOR site at the five end and B2O site at the three end. These novel RBM genes could then be cloned into the spike gene respectively. The gene synthesis and subsequent cloning which could be done in a batch mode for the small library of design RBMs would take approximately one month. These engineered spike proteins might then be tested for HACE2 binding using the established pseudotype virus infection assays. The engineered spike with good to exceptional binding affinities will be selected. Given the abundance of literature on spike engineering and the available high resolution structures of the spike HACE2 complex, the success of this step will be very much guaranteed by the end of the steps as desired a novel spike gene will be obtained which encodes a novel spike protein capable of binding HAC2 with high affinity. Step two, engineering a furon cleavage site at the S1, S2 junction which will take about a half a month. The product from step one of plasma containing the engineer spike will be further modified to include a furon cleavage site at the S1, S2 junction. This short stretch of gene sequence can be conveniently inserted using several routine cloning techniques, including quick change site-directed PCR, overlap PCR, followed by restriction enzyme digestion and ligation, or Gibson assembly. None of these techniques will leave any trace in the sequence. Whichever cloning method was the choice, the inserted gene piece will be included in the primers, which would then be designed, synthesized, and used in the, cl in the cloning. Unlike the engineering of the spike, no complicated design is needed here, except that the RDRP gene segment from the rat coronavirus will need to be included. Each fragment will be PCR amplified with a, pro a proper overlap regions introduced in the primers. Finally, all purified fragments will be pulled in equal molar concentrations and added to the Gibson reaction mixture, which after a short incubation would yield the desired ORF1B gene in whole. Step four is to produce the designed viral genome using reverse genetics and recovering live viruses. The most recent example is the reconstruction of the SARS-CoV-2 genome using a transformation-assisted recombination in yeast. Using this method, the Swiss group assembled the entire viral genome and produced live viruses in just one week. This offensive technique, which will not leave any trace of artificial manipulation in the created viral genome, has been available since 2017. In addition to the engineered spike gene and the ORFB1 gene, other fragments covering the rest of the genome will be obtained either through RT-PCR amplification from the template virus or through DNA synthesis by following a sequence slightly altered from that of the template virus. We believe that the latter approach was more likely as it would allow sequences introduced into the variable regions of less conserved proteins, the process of which could be easily guided by multiple sequence alignments. The amino acid sequences of more conserved functions, such as that of the E protein, 
might have been left unchanged. All DNA fragments would then be pulled together and transformed into yeast, where the cDNA version of the SARS-CoV-2 genome will be assembled via transformation-assisted recombination. Of course, an alternative method of reverse genetics, one of which the WIV has successfully used in the past, could, could also be employed. Although some earlier reverse genetic approaches may leave restriction sites at where different fragments would be joined, those traces would be hard to attack as the exact site of ligation could be anywhere in the genome. Either way, a cDNA version of the viral genome would be obtained from the reverse genetics experiment. Subsequently, in vitro transcription using the cDNA as the template would yield a viral RNA genome, which upon transfection info into viral e cells would allow the production of live viruses bearing all the design properties. The fifth step is to optimize the virus for fitness and improve its HAC2 binding affinity in vivo, which would take two and a half to three months. Okay. The final step would be to validate the virus fitness and ensure its receptor-oriented adaptation toward its intended host, which should be human. Among various available animals for coronaviruses, HACE2 transgenic mice should be the most proper and convenient choice here. The mice would be intranasally inoculated into a group of anesthetized mice around two to three days post-infection, the virus and lungs would usually amplify to a peak tier. The mice would then be sacrificed and the lungs homogenized. Usually the mouse lung supernatant, which carries the high-risk viral load, would be used to extract the candidate virus for the next round of passage. After approximately 10 to 15 rounds of passage, the HACE2 binding affinity, the infection efficiency, and the lethality of the viral strain would be sufficiently enhanced and the viral genome stabilized. Finally, after a series of characterization, characterization experiments, for example, a viral kinetics assay, antibodies response assay, symptom observation and pathology examination, the final product SARS-CoV-2 will be obtained, including the whole creation process. From this point on, this viral pathogen could be amplified and produced routinely. Final remarks. If it was a laboratory product, the most critical element in its creation, the backbone template virus is owned by military research laboratories. The genome sequence of SARS-CoV-2 has likely undergone genetic engineering through which the virus has gained the ability to target humans with enhanced virulence and infectivity. The characteristics and pathogenics of SARS-CoV-2 are unprecedented, unprecedented. The virus is highly transmissible, onset hidden, multi-organ testing, sequelae unclear, lethal, and associated with various symptoms and complications. SARS-CoV-2 caused a worldwide pandemic. It has a destructive power like no other. Okay, so that is part two of this paper. And um, just the way that she broke it down as far as the, the different steps she would take and how you would use molecular cloning and um, DNA synthesis and, you know, grow, grow parts of the virus spike you know, and then make sure that you run viral kinetics testing to see which one, you know, is, you know, the most 
deadliest with you know put them in mice for three days take a picture of their lungs figure out which one is the most infectious after you kill the mice and then and then go with that and the key part that she kept talking about was that the the template for the coronavirus the back coronavirus is owned by the military so um you know it's definitely very well put together i think there is another study that she put together more recently so i'll be more than happy to cover that and i would love to um cover this again but i want to know what you guys think um did you think this was a, a well-written article um i know there's a lot of scientific knowledge in there so i'm learning as i go so i always try to tell people you know don't get turned off if you hear a whole bunch of scientific language because it's really simple it's just you know you have to just know what to look for and you know just google stuff as you go in order to understand this so that is part two of reviewing how coronavirus was created in the laboratory by this particular doctor. And I really enjoyed this information. It's really enlightening to see um, when somebody has firsthand knowledge of virology and what it's like to work in a lab, how they can literally break it down in months. Like, okay, this month, we're going to change the nucleotide. The next month, we're going to grow it in yeast. The third month, we're going to grow it in mouse lungs. And then fourth month, we're going to do our gain of function research to see which particular strain is the best one. And also like just learning about how they can create a template for the viral genome to reverse um, genetics. And, you know, by um, copying it inside of the yeast and then taking a copy of that, that cDNA and then converting that into um, the viral genome. So I really enjoy this information. I will definitely be covering this in more detail and maybe even discussing this with you guys uh, live. So I would love to get your thoughts on it. And I want to also say thank you to everybody that has been watching. We are over, I want to say we're over 400 downloads at this point in our first month or first two months, which is great. And we're going to continue to do as many podcasts per day as possible to keep you engaged and to keep you up to date. So with that being said, thank you guys for tuning into this podcast. And I really hope that you gained something from this and I will see you in the next show.